I don't know if any of you are aware of this, but America has many different cultures within one country. It's hard to summarize America. One of those cultures, and it's really been highlighted over the last several years, is the redneck culture. Now, I don't know if you know what that is. Um, it's a little further south than where I was from in the States. But uh, there was a comedian that made a whole career out of it in the 90s, the redneck culture. I wanted to read for you what uh, some characteristics of a redneck church, all right? It goes like this. You know you're in a redneck church when the call to worship is, you all come in now, you hear? <laughs> or you know you're in a redneck church when people grumble about Noah letting all those coyotes on the ark. <laughs> or when the preacher says, I'd like Bubba to help with take up the offering, and five guys stand up. <laughs> or a member of the church requests to be buried with his four-wheel drive because there ain't never been a hole it couldn't get out of. <laughs> Took you a while on that one, didn't it? <laughs> well, you know you're in a redneck church when there's no such thing as a secret sin. And you know you're in a redneck church when baptism's Baptism is referred to as branding. <laughs> now, you, you kind of get, get the idea now, don't you, about the redneck church. Well, uh, I thought this week as I sat there and read all those lists about a redneck church, I thought it'd be fun to come up with a list about a Kiwi church. <laughs> no, come on. <laughs> and as an American, I felt obliged to do that. I felt like I had the freedom to do that. Because I have to put up with all your comments about America and all these comments about George Bush and, and all these other things. So I uh, hope you're not offended with my list about what it means to be in a Kiwi church, all right? I ran it past a Kiwi just to make sure, all right? Well, you know you're in a Kiwi church when it's canceled during All Blacks matches. <laughs> you know you're in a Kiwi church when you get bored when the preacher uses illustrations about baseball, basketball, or football. You know you're in a Kiwi church when you hear the preacher say, anyone who struggles with pride must be an Australian. <laughs> you know you're in a Kiwi church when everyone thinks you're overdressed if you're not wearing t-shirts, shorts, and jandals. <laughs> and you know you're in a Kiwi church when your intercessory prayers consist of names such as Jack and Carter and Mialamu and Hallett. <laughs> And lastly, you know you're in a Kiwi church when finding and returning lost sheep isn't just a parable. <laughs> uh. Now that wasn't so bad, was it? I find it interesting that every culture and every, uh, every culture has certain elements within it that are easily recognized, aren't they? We all recognize somewhat the redneck culture. We definitely recognize the Kiwi church. And every culture has certain characteristics about it that are easily recognized. And culture and tradition and heritage, they're things that are sometimes hard for us to define, yet they're easily recognized. Every nation, every people, every people group has a culture and a heritage, has traditions that bind us together to a certain degree, that bring us commonality. But it's also those cultures and traditions and heritages that cause separations among us, that separate us and divide us as people in the world. The Bible today, the text today I want to read from is Colossians chapter 3, verses 11 through 14. The Apostle Paul now presents us with a picture of the church. And he presents us with this picture of the church 
and the church being a separate and distinct culture that is separate from any, any other culture in the world. In fact, he says there in verse 11, he says, Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And so Paul presents this picture now of the church. And the church is made up of every different culture, every different people group within the world, but we're bound together as one body, as a chosen people. And Christ is all, and Christ is in all. Therefore, we have, we have a totally different, different uh, representation in the world now. There's no longer these cultural divisions. Now we are all one. No matter where you come from, we are one in Christ Jesus. Now, before you can fully appreciate what Paul was saying here in these few verses, I think you have to back up and understand the way in which Paul was presenting these verses in the book of Colossians. He wrote this letter to the Colossae church. Turn back a few pages. You see, in chapter 1, Paul's giving a, a thanks. He starts out the letter with thanksgiving and prayer. He starts it out giving thanks because we all share in this one inheritance as saints following Jesus Christ, as Christians, as followers of Him. So we should give thanks because of that. And then he goes on to move into chapter 2, and he's, he's talking to, to a Jewish audience, and then he says, uh, he says, no longer are we bound by circumcision done by the hands of men. We're not bound by these things. In fact, he points out then, it is Jesus Christ who actually does the circumcising now. Jesus Christ changes our lives. Therefore, Jesus Christ is that single figure in which binds us all together as human beings. And so now there's no longer these Jews or there's Greeks. The Jews were circumcised, the Greeks were not. Now Paul is saying we should give thanks because of our inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ binds us all together, gives us a totally different circumcision. Then you get into chapter 3 here. And these few verses then are the, the preview before the verses I just read. Colossians 3, verse 1. Paul writes and says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as, as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on a new self, which is being, being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. And then Paul's able to say, therefore, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all, and Christ is in all. 
And so you begin to get this picture then that the church is that separate, distinct culture drawn together because of Christ. Now the New International Version of the Bible put a title segment to this segment of Scripture. And the title is Rules for Holy Living. But I don't think that really captures what the Apostle Paul was saying there in those verses. The New American Standard Version of the Bible, their title is Put on a New Self. Put on a new self. Now, that kind of captures some of the words from the Apostle Paul, but that doesn't give you the full picture. The new King James Version calls it the not carnality, but Christ section. That's really hard to understand. But I think what the Apostle Paul was saying here, a better summary of what he's saying there is, let Christ be your life. Let Christ be your life. That's what it's about. Because Jesus Christ breaks down those barriers that we've set between us in our different cultures. And so let Christ be your life. You see, Paul emphasizes over and over in Scripture that he's no longer living for himself. When he came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, when Jesus came down to him and called him into a new ministry, from that point on, Paul no longer lived for himself. He no longer lived as a separate Jew in a, in a Greek culture. Now the Apostle Paul says over and over in Scripture that I no longer live for myself. I no longer live in those old days that I used to be in. He says he's a new man. In fact, he goes so far in Galatians to say, I no longer live, but it is Jesus who lives in me. For the Apostle Paul, his life was was, uh, explained by Jesus. His reason for living was Jesus. Therefore, for the Apostle Paul, Jesus was his life. And he implores all of us who read these scriptures throughout the generations, he implores us to let Jesus Christ be your life. Let Jesus Christ be your life. Let Jesus summarize all your different cultural aspects. Let Jesus be your life. Let Jesus bind you together when you enter into a realm in which there's people from every different culture. Let Jesus be your life. Let Jesus bind you together. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying there. And so those verses in the first few verses in chapter 3 there, Paul says then, put to death that former life. Put it to death. But you know, all too often I think people are tempted to, to just kind of set that life aside. To set that life aside in case they need to go back to it, in case they need to refer to it, in case you're on the job site and people, you can't get people to do what you want them to do, then, then you can enter into that other life that's right beside you. But the Apostle Paul says, set that, or put that life to death. Don't just set it aside. I think some people look back on that former life with a bit of gratitude and a bit of glorification. They look back on those good old days, and there's a certain part of them that wants those good old days back in their life. In fact, I've seen, I've seen testimonies of people within churches where it sounds more like they're saying, those days back then were better than these days now. Maybe that's not what they intended to say. I, I hope it's not. But I think for some people, instead of putting that former life to death, as Apostle Paul said there, they've just set it aside. The point that Paul is making is when you accept Jesus Christ, your life is then completely transformed, completely changed. So much so that over there in chapter 3, verse 5, he said, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to that earthly nature. Put to death whatever belongs to that earthly, sinful nature. The way that you best understand put to death there 
is that Paul is saying, consider it as good as dead. Consider that life as good as dead. It's over. It's gone. You've buried it. It's time to move on. It's time to move forward in your new relationship to Jesus Christ. So this is, this is where Paul's words then begin to impact us. And they begin to impact us when you, when you begin to understand what Paul is saying. He's saying when Jesus becomes your life, you put to death whatever was in your past. You consider it as dead. Now for some of you, your life before Christ was so bad and so painful that you've been trying to lay it aside for years, even before you knew about Christ, because there's so much stuff in your past that's mixed up and hurtful and painful. Well, this is the great thing about what the Apostle Paul is saying here. It's a really great thing. He's saying your life is now hidden in Christ. Verse 3 says, uh, verse 2 says, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. All that hurt, all that frustration, all that pain of your past, you can now lay it aside. Now, it doesn't mean that your memories of the past are going to go away. But it does mean that those memories no longer define who you are. Because now your life is hidden in Christ Jesus. But for others of you, you have to be careful not to linger too long on the past because you may be tempted to fall back into some bad habits. You may be tempted to go back down a trail that you know you shouldn't be going down. Because the desires of the past might creep back into your life. The sin of your past might begin to tempt you again. And you know, sin produces pleasure in our lives. That's a reality that we all live with. If sin was painful and hard to accomplish, most of us wouldn't sin. But the reality is that it brings a temporary pleasure. It's never satisfying. Sin is never satisfying. That's why you keep going back to it. You keep longing for those days if you don't put it to death because sin never satisfies. And so now that you've put to death your sinful past, then you can look forward to the good things of the future with God and living for Jesus and letting Jesus then define who you are, letting Jesus define your life. And so Paul speaks there of this transition into the new life. And he gives this example of, of getting dressed, of putting on clothes. Look back there at verse 9. He says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. You see, Paul speaks of this transition as if we're getting dressed. And so you take off those old clothes. You take off that old self with all of its sinful practices, with all those things that you hate. You take it off. You lay it. You put it to death. And then you put on those new clothes, which is the new self, which is being renewed in Jesus Christ. You know, Paul talks about this same idea over in Ephesians chapter 4, only pre he presents it in a little different way. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. He says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, 
For we are all members of one body. And so Paul says there, put off your old self because it's being corrupted and it's eventually not going to last. He says, put off that old self and be renewed in the attitude of in the attitude of your mind so that you can put on the new self that is created to be like God in the sense of being an image of your creator. And then he says, therefore, when you put off that old self, you can also put off all that falsehood and speak truthfully to one another because now we're all part of the same body. We're all part of the same body. But I think sometimes within the within the culture of our churches today and our local bodies, people have a hard time putting off falsehood. They have a hard time. They're afraid to let people see who they really are. But Paul says there in verse 25, put off falsehood, speak truthfully, because we're all part of one body. See, the reality is that when all of us enter into this church, none of us have it all together all the time. We all are going through different struggles in life. We all are going through different things and all those things we cannot have together all the time. But the church is the one place where we should be able to come together and be ourselves. To let down our guard and know that the people around us love us and will care for us and will lift us up and help us grow in our understanding of Christ and how to live more completely and fully for Him even though we all struggle in this life. The church should be the one place where we can come together, put off falsehood, and get real with one another. We should love one another. We should be able to lay aside our differences. We should be able to lay aside our cultural differences, our personality differences, and come alongside one another and get real with each other and say, Brother, sister, I need your help. I'm struggling. We should be able to be real with each other. See, in a sense, what you find out is that we're all wearing the same clothes because we're all part of the same body now. And we're being clothed with Jesus Christ now. And we're being clothed with the clothes that Jesus Christ bought for us with His blood. You see, the church is the one place where we shouldn't be judging each other according to what, what clothes we're wearing, whether it's physical clothes or whether it's spiritual clothes. The new self is being made new in the attitudes of the mind. And so when we come together as a church, we have a new attitude. We don't sit in judgment of other people as to whether or not they've got it all together because we're all being renewed in the attitude of our mind. I like that song that Scott and Lisa sang for us before the sermon. The title of it is called Stained, Stained Glass Masquerade. I like the words. It's speaking about the church and how so often people in the church are just masquerading around with a falsehood, with a fakeness about it. Listen to some of the words. The first verse was, Is there anyone that fails? Is there anyone that falls? Am I the only one in church today feeling so small? Because when I look around, everybody seems so strong. I know they'll soon discover that I don't belong. And so I tuck it all away like everything's okay. If I make them all believe it, maybe I'll believe it too. So with a painted grin, I play the part. 
so everyone will see me the way I see them. Are we happy plastic people under shiny plastic steeples with walls around our weakness and smiles to hide our pain? But if the invitation's open to every heart that has been broken, maybe then we close the curtain on our stained glass masquerade. It's time for us to put off falsehood and to get real with one another. We're all part of the same body. We're all trying to come to the same point of letting Jesus be our life. Maybe we should close the curtain on our stained glass masquerade. You know, the church and our society and the world is losing ground. There are, there are fewer and fewer people coming to know Jesus Christ in the world. The, the church is losing ground. Maybe it's because Christianity today is full of people who are just masquerading, who are faking it, who are pretending to have their life consist of Christ, but who really come on Sunday morning and pretend and go out into the world and there is no difference. I'm sure you've all seen stained glass windows before. I've seen some really amazing stained glass windows, some beautiful stained glass windows. But have you ever stopped to think about a stained glass window? A stained glass window is made up of a bunch of broken pieces of glass. You ever think of that? Every piece of glass in a stained glass window has been broken and chipped. And then the artist picks up all those broken pieces of glasses and, and chips them and breaks them and fits them just right into that stained glass window so that it makes a beautiful window. And you see, the church is so much like a stained glass window because the church is made up of a bunch of broken pieces of human lives. And Jesus is the artist. And Jesus then pulls together all those broken pieces of glass and he shapes them together into a beautiful masterpiece. And that beautiful masterpiece is called the church. And if your life has not been broken by Jesus Christ, then I would suggest that you're still masquerading. That you're still trying to fake it and make others around you feel like you've got it all together. But when Jesus Christ breaks your life down and you put to death that past life and you begin to live for Him, and when Jesus becomes your life, your life will reflect it in every way and you will become part of this beautiful picture called the church in a special way. That's how Paul in Colossians 3.10 said, put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. You see, the church is a living picture, a living image made up of a bunch of broken pieces. And when you come into the church, you can stop masquerading around in your old clothes with your fake smiles and you can get real with one another. Because now in Christ and through Christ, we, we are receiving new clothes. We are being built in this into this beautiful image. We are now able to put off that falsehood. We are now able to speak truthfully with one another. Because we're being made into the image of Jesus Christ. We're being clothed with Him. In fact, that's how Paul says it again in Galatians chapter, chapter 3, verse 17. He says, for everyone who was baptized into Christ has been clothed with Christ. We are being clothed now with Christ. We put off our old dingy clothes 
we're putting on Christ. And when we're clothed with Christ, we can lay aside that past life. We no longer need it because now everything we do consists of living for Jesus Christ. We're no longer concerned about that other stuff because we're focused, our attention is focused on Jesus. In Colossians 3, verse 11, Paul said, Put on the new clothes. No longer appear, where we no longer appear as separate individuals. Now we appear as one body. We're no longer separate individuals in separate cultures. In our new clothes, we are new people. We are a new culture that God has, that, that God has created out of a bunch of individual cultures. You know, the world in which Paul lived and the world in which he wrote these letters was a very divided world. Cultures did not have anything to do with other cultures. It was a divided and segmented world. The Greeks dressed differently. They acted differently than the Jews. And the Jews acted differently and had different religious traditions and had different things about their whole culture. And they, they did not mix the two together. And they had nothing to do with each other. Jews refused to enter into a Gentile's house to eat any food that was cooked by a Gentile. Greeks would not associate with the Jews. The Jews, of course, wouldn't associate with anyone that was uncircumcised physically. And so they had these separations within culture. And a good educated Greek and a well-educated Jewish person, they would never be seen associating with a barbarian or a Scythian because they were, they were the uneducated population. They weren't educated in the ways of the Greeks and the Jewish heritage that came down through the lineage. And so neither culture would have anything to do with the barbarians or the Scythians. The Greeks were too high class to associate with them. The Jews were too pious to associate with them. In fact, Josephus, a Jewish historian, he said this. He said, the Scythians delight in murdering people and are little, little better than wild beasts. And then you have this entire Roman culture. And the Roman, the Roman culture kind of encompassed the Jewish culture, encompassed the, the old Greek culture, and they made a new culture, the Roman culture. And the Roman culture is very much a class system-based culture. And so you had different classes of people. Anyone who was rich and had money, anyone of means, never associated with a slave or a worker class person. And of course the slaves would never associate with anyone with money because they understood their place. And so you had this class system and no, no culture would interact with another culture. They were separate and distinct people groups. And there was no association. So you would never see Jews and Greeks and slaves and Scythians and barbarians and the circumcised and the uncircumcised. You would never see them all together in one group, especially not together in one group that had one thing in common. You would just, you wouldn't see it. It never happened in the first century until this point in time. And so these words that Paul is speaking here, when he says, here there is no Greek or Jew, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, those were totally foreign words to these people. Because those groups were never seen together in any other way except to do business. And here Paul is saying, as you throw off those old clothes, you're no longer a barbarian, you're no longer a Jew, 
You're no longer a Roman citizen. Now you are a citizen of God's kingdom, brought together in Christ. Christ is all and Christ is in all. They were all together, no longer recognized by what they were wearing. They were now recognized because of Jesus Christ. No matter what class of people they came from, no matter what clothes they used to wear. And so in Christ, there's no longer these cultural divisions. It doesn't matter what nation or people group you come from. There's no longer South Africans, no longer New Zealanders, no longer Maoris or Samoan, no longer Americans. We all come together as one people, the people of God. You see, it's Jesus who creates real, authentic community amongst us. If it were left up to us, we would keep all these cultural divides. We would be divided on personalities. We would be divided on money. We would be divided just as the world out there where we have to work and live is divided. But now because of Jesus, there's another way to live. Now, rather than Jesus simply being another aspect of your life, Jesus becomes your life. And if Jesus is your life, then your new life will be reflected in all that you do. And Jesus will be reflected, this attitude of Jesus will be reflected in everything you do. Look at verses 12 through 17. The Apostle Paul continues, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So this is what this new life now looks like. We reflect these things. We're compassionate. We clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and humility. All those things that bind us together in love for Jesus Christ. And so it's a new culture, a new way of living. In these verses you begin to realize that your life in Christ is more than just an individual pursuit in this world. Now we're bound together with other people. It's about entering into a community of believers, no longer living for themselves. We have laid aside that old life and now we come together. There's no longer these individual divisions. There's no longer these selfish pursuits, but we're all helping one another live more fully for Christ in all that we do. And so what you see is that for any local church to have true, authentic community, then they will be reflecting their life in Christ. Because real community, authentic community, authentic shore community, community, is doing life together in Christ. Doing life together in Christ. Being clothed with the clothes of Christ. And our lives should project this new image then. Our lives should project the image that we're made into. Look at uh, those first four verses again in chapter 3. 
Here you see the Apostle Paul laying it out for us. He said, set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above. You are now dead and hidden in Christ. And then verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above. And then all of a sudden, Jesus Christ becomes your life. When Christ, who is your life, who is your life. I want you to reflect on that for a second. When Christ, who is your life, what does that mean? When Christ, who is your life. Now, each one of you, as you reflect on this, you have to ask yourself a question. Is Christ my life? Is Jesus Christ who I'm living for right now? When you leave the doors of this church, is Jesus Christ who you're living for as you drive home, as you go to work on Monday, as you raise your family? When Jesus Christ, who is your life. You see, a Christian is one who puts to death that old self and whose life begins to reflect Jesus Christ more and more. And as you grow and mature in your faith, you move, you move from someone who, who believes in Jesus to someone who lives for Him. And Jesus Christ then becomes your life. And Jesus Christ doesn't just merely give us life. He is life. John 14, 6, Jesus said about Himself, He is the way, the truth, and the life. Paul wrote in Philippians, he said, For me to live is Christ. And for Christians, Christ is the most important thing in life. In fact, Jesus Christ is life itself. Sometimes we say things like music is her life, or rugby is her life, or V8s is his life, or, or uh, uh, dirt bikes is my life, or other things like that. And what we end up putting our emphasis on is what clearly identifies who we are. But we should go around the, the world in which we live, and people should say, Jesus Christ is your life. Jesus Christ is his life. Jesus Christ is her life. That's how, it would re, re, that's how we should be reflecting our life in Jesus Christ. And in order for Shore Community Christian Church to be a community, we are going to have to be a church whose life is Jesus Christ. You see, people whose lives are lived for Jesus Christ reflect it in all that we do. And Paul described this kind of community, and he described what that kind of community looks like. It's a community in which we are compassionate for one another. We are kind and humble and gentle and patient. We bear with one another. We forgive each other. That's the kind of community in which we live. In fact, Scripture all throughout gives us a picture of what it means to live for Christ, about that life that, that, we, that reflects Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 5, you have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things. Matthew 5, Jesus gave us a, another picture, the Beatitudes, how our attitudes should be. should be humble and meek. We should hunger for righteousness. We should live for Him in all that we do. And then Paul said, it is love that binds it all together and holds it strong together. In fact, Jesus said in John 13, He said, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. A life in Christ produces a person who is others-focused and no longer consumed with self. A person who loves his neighbor as himself. 
a person who does unto others as she would have done to her. That's the kind of life in Christ that it produces. And the church should be a place full of people whose lives are lived for Jesus Christ. And that means then we're no longer living for self, we're living for one another. That's what it means. This means that Shore Community Christian Church will be a, a church full of people who have a deep love for those other people sitting next to them. It will mean that we will care for each other's needs. It will mean that that Shore Community will be a place where no one can come in on Sunday morning and sit right next to you and feel all alone. It will be a place where everyone will feel like they're a part of a community. No one will feel like they're all alone in this culture. And then when we leave this place and get out into the greater, wider community, it will be a, a community in which sees you living your life and sees your community out on the streets living life. And it sees that we are a compassionate people. That we are kind to everyone. That we bear with one another. That we forgive each other easily. And the world will begin to see that we are living for something different. That, that there's something different that defines who we are. We're no longer separated by the different cultures. We're no longer separated by finances. We're no longer separated by any other things because we come together for a greater cause. We come together and live for Jesus Christ. And He is the one who has clothed us. He is the one who has changed our hearts and changed the attitude of our minds. Then the world will know who we live for. I want to pull this all together with Romans chapter 15. Just as we, as we close this out, Romans chapter 15. Here the Apostle Paul has written this, this entire letter to the, to the Roman Christians, to this new church that was growing and developing. And he writes there in Romans 15 verse 5. He, may, he says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you, might, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. That's it, folks. That's who we are. We're a people that gather together from every different culture, every different country in the world, and we come together here at Shore Community to praise God. And we do that with one heart and one mouth as we glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we accept one another in order to bring praise to God. In order to bring praise to God. That's it. When Jesus is your life. Music